Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you guys are here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us this morning as we kick off week two in our new series, Generosity. Did you guys enjoy that video? Awesome. That's only like a snippet of the five-minute video that the, that the guys at the Bible Project put together, so you can go check that out, out online. It's an amazing video, really, really healthy. Uh, if you missed last week's uh, kickoff to the series, it was awesome, right? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Three of us. Yeah, it was great. The rest of us went home depressed, but it was great, and uh, you should go check it out. Podcast, YouTube channel, all of that. Hey, listen, if you're a first-time guest with us in the room, just want you to know that you are loved, safe, and welcome here no matter where you're entering on your spiritual journey. Our mission here at City Church is to help, help people find their way to God from where they are. And so what that means for you is no matter where you're walking in, we simply want to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps. And so we hope you feel loved, safe, and welcome. Uh, if you're joining us on, online, that's true for you as well. And uh, throughout the service, you're going to have multiple opportunities to respond. That, that blue connection card is how we do all forms of communication here at City Church. A couple of quick announcements for you that i got to throw up on the screen. Uh, because Maddie's out of town and I got to do her job for her, okay? Um, Serve Sunday is in two weeks. Who's pumped about Serve Sunday? Some of you don't know what it is yet, but you're going to figure it out. So we're in the middle of this generosity series, and it's really, really cool. I've got two weeks of really intentional teaching on the front end. Next week, over Labor Day weekend, you don't want to miss it. We have one of our church planters from Chicago, Chris Griffith, who's going to be here in town, and you get to hear from him and meet him. We invest in them financially and through prayer, and we want you to know them relationally as well. So he's going to be here sharing next Sunday. And so throughout this series, we have the practical side of teaching on generosity and then practicing generosity and celebrating generosity based on what you're already doing. And so can you just put your hands together because you're already a radically generous church. We do a lot of amazing things in and through this community. And one of those is Serve Sunday. So on 9-11, we are canceling our services for that day and we are gathering as the church to serve the community around us. We do this once a year. This is not the only time we serve our community, but this is an intentional time right after Labor Day weekend going into the fall where we gather together, we serve together, and we make a difference in our community. And so on the way out, you're going to get one of these awesome little cards and there's a QR code on there for you. So you can sign up for Serve Sunday. There's tons of options available. We've got things that, that depending on your mobility, if you have kids, things like that, there are some things like putting gift bags together for the faculty and staff at Crestview Elementary. And, and uh, there's also, uh, we're doing a big project of cleanup at Crestview Elementary down the street. We're doing 20 gallons of cold brew coffee in downtown Pearl Street area. Uh, we have a local family uh, in need. Uh, I, one of my neighbors, actually, it's kind of cool. His name is Chuck. He's 90 years old and doesn't act like it. Um, and then his wife um, ha- has uh, just some health issues to where uh, they have a lot of yard cleanup they haven't been able to do over the last year. And so we're going to send teams just to their house to make a difference as well. So all over the city, big and small ways, we are making a difference together. And so whether you love to you know, decapitate bushes or put gift bags together or cook a hot dog, or hand people free cold brew at a really busy intersection. There's space for you and your kids. And so again, you're going to have a chance to sign up for those areas 
on that connection card. And again, it's also a first come first serve basis as far as those areas are concerned. Um, and so you want to jump in right out of the service and get signed up. Also, this is an incredible way to invite the community around you to join us for Serve Sunday. Uh, some of your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, they might not be interested in gathering with us on a weekend or coming to your church thing, but making a difference in our city, they're probably down for. And so we wanna just empower you. It's also on our website, it's on our social media platforms, all the links to sign up. And so invite the people around you to join us in making a difference in our city as well. And then at the end, we're gonna come back together and party. We're gonna have a team here cooking, uh, cooking out for us. And so we're just gonna come back together and celebrate to, uh, with, with all the things that happened that day. You guys down? It's exciting. Yeah, man, I'm so pumped. So that's Serve Sunday. And um, is there another slide for? I can't remember what I had. Hey, there he is. I was trying to remember. Um, we have our city groups launching the day after Serve Sunday. So September 12th, all of our fall city groups launch. And so I want to let you know now you can jump online and start signing up for those groups. We have seven city groups launching all across our Boulder area. Put your hands together for all of our amazing group leaders. So excited. Really, really cool. So we have different times, locations all over. It's all on our website. It's all live. Obviously, if you were a part of a group last semester and you want to stay with those same people, by all means, but still go and sign up. And if you're new or newish to City Church, you want to check out a group, then this is the way to get plugged in starting the week of September 12th. So you can start signing up now. That's all the announcements I have for you. But I wanted to let you know it's some ex really exciting stuff. So you guys ready to dig in today? Generosity part two. So we kicked off our series last week. Uh, with a 30,000-foot view of generosity and embracing the worldview of Jesus. And, and, and this worldview is similar to what that video was explaining, that God is this generous Father, and we live in His house, and there's more than enough to enjoy and to share with the world around us. And so, again, if you missed last week, it was kind of a really formational piece of the rest of this series. But we talked a little bit last week about the lies around materialism and hedonism in our culture, kind of that American dream. Like, materialism is right, accumulation and comfort are like the highest and best calling. The, the, the best thing you can do with your life is just accumulate, get a little more wealthy, a little more successful, and, and a little more comfortable, retire early, and live that good life. And then hedonism, which we don't talk a lot about, and it sounds like a really weird offensive word, but that all, all that means is that pleasure and experience is the highest human good. And so you might really be into that minimalism in your home, but then you're also chasing the experience and pleasure of a lifestyle that, quite frankly, our culture here in Boulder highly promotes and represents. And if you're like me, you live in the middle of both of those, <laughs> and you want it all, all the time, and, and the thing just never stops. And the lie that you and I are constantly tempted with is that more of everything is better. And the problem that we're running into, and sociology and, and neuroscience is catching up with this reality, that happiness is actually decreasing in America as we pursue the American dream. It turns out, shocker, more stuff and more experiences don't necessarily get rid of anxiety and depression. And the problem that you and I find ourselves in is the more that we get, the more we actually want. Like that wanter inside of me just doesn't go off. And I don't know like where you're walking in and how kind of your soul operates, but for me, I feel like I, I, I kind of ebb and flow. Like there'll be moments where I'm like really content for like a moment, and then all of a sudden I just want everything all the time. And it like goes full bore for like weeks on end, and all of a sudden I'm content again, and then something else catches my eye, or someone else got something that I want. You know, it, it just takes one little thing to set my heart off on the next pursuit. And so every time I turn around, there's a new place to visit and a new hobby to adopt and a new restaurant to try and a new series to binge. You guys see that new Lord of the Rings series coming out? Guys, um, 
I'm, but I'm, I'm going to be content and chill out. There's a new toy to have, right? Like all of a sudden in my life, I've got all these people inviting me to fly fish, and then I got someone like talking about a motorcycle trip in Alaska, and then you know, we've got to go camping over here and here and here and here, and I'm like, oh, there's not enough time in a day and not enough salary for this church planter <laughs> to do that. That's why we're in the middle of this generosity series. That's a, that's a joke, guys. Totally a joke. Um, one of the reasons that the American dream is such an easy sell for our hearts is because human desire is infinite. It is unquenchable. It never stops. And so even when logically you know that that thing or that experience or whatever, you fill in the blank, that success, that promotion, that relationship, as soon as we get it, we, we know at some level it's not going to be the thing that satisfies our soul, even if it's a temporary helpful relief. But human desire is infinite. Here, here's the good news, is God made us that way. And so if you and I, just follow, if, if you're willing to believe this, if we're, if we're willing to press into Jesus and his worldview, if you and I are made by God and made for God, then nothing less than full participation in a life with God can satisfy our souls. That's the very purpose of Jesus coming. That's the very purpose of God's generous heart that he gave so we can have a relationship with him and be forgiven and restored. This is what Jesus called abiding. It's why we talk a lot about that, that daily rhythm of time with Jesus alone or time with the Father. And so what happens, the bad news is when you and I redirect our desires or our loves from God or, or if we've never found or directed that to God at all, and we put it on something else, every time we put this infinite burden of desire on someone or something else, it cannot stand under the weight of that kind of pressure. And so as a result, you and I live with a chronic sense of dissatisfaction. And this is especially true around money and stuff and experiences. But right before we get satisfied, the goal moves, doesn't it? We get on that vacation and we're so rested and we're so happy and it's amazing and you get back and then there's discontent right on the other side of it for the next little dip out of the next experience, the next this and that. You and I are constantly chasing the carrot of the American dream, even if we don't want to. And so, so you might ask the question, why are we talking about this now? I mean, it's the end of August, we're going into the fall, school just started, like aren't there some more important pressing things we could be talking about? Maybe, but but. If you've been sticking around for City Church, if you go back and look at it, we've been talking a lot about spiritual disciplines and, and the formation of a person, how we change. And one of those pieces is practice, that, that what we do influences who we become. And because practices are formational, I really feel like God wanted us to press in early on in the fall, just for a few weeks, so that we can kind of get ahead of the cultural consumerism that's about to just blow up your world. Black Friday's coming, and Thanksgiving, and Christmas, and all the things, and all the parties, and all the adventures, and all, the, all of that that's coming. Labor Day weekend's around the corner. You've got to have an experience then. You can't not, not labor on Labor Day weekend. You've got to do something. So there's a constant pressure and a push. And so I want to give us tools early on to begin to think through seasons. When the world is asking, how can I get more? We're asking, how can we live with less and how can we give away more? We wanna press into seasons of generosity when the American culture presses into a higher level of consumerism. 
So how do we set our souls free from this relentless desire of more? How do we press into a deeper life in God? Or to say it another way, is there a practice from the way of Jesus that helps set us free from endless desire and helps us find contentment and margin and that that life that is truly life that, that Jesus talked about? And the answer is yes, and today it's actually twofold. It's two practices, the practices of generosity and simplicity, and they kind of go hand in hand. Last week, we dealt with the bigger practice of generosity on kind of a, that 30,000-foot level. Today, we're going to get super practical. Is that helpful for you guys? Like things to do this week, because you don't have enough things to do already, so you're ready for that. Like We're going to get really, really practical, but first, we're going to get into um, um, the text in 1 Timothy. But let me give you a couple of things. Let me give you a, a, a wow, definition, there we go, of generosity. Generosity, if you're taking notes, you can kind of capture these. So you can kind of let your heart sit in what we're talking about. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can kind of sit on the outside looking in of like, okay, how is this formational? And why does this matter? And where does this attach to the heart of God? And what does it mean for me? It's really important. We say this often before we want anything from you at City Church. It's what we want for you. And this formational piece is massively helpful to the life that is truly life. So generosity is a practice in which we move our hearts away from fear and greed and discontent and injustice and toward a life of love and freedom and joy and gratitude and a deep trust. This is the core of generosity. A deep trust in God as our Father. That's what we talked about last week. You guys with me? Simplicity is the practice of limiting, volitionally, by the way. There's no team members from City Church coming to check your home this week, okay? We don't have assigned budget checkers, right? This is just all invitational. Simplicity is the practice of limiting the number of our possessions, activities, experiences, and social obligations. Introverts in the room, amen. Come on, right? You guys, I know you. <laughs> yes! <laughs> to a level. So that, listen, this is appropriate. You gotta ask the question all the time. What would Jesus do if he were me? Don't get it backwards. Not What would, you, what would I do if I were Jesus? <laughs> That's not what we're asking. What would Jesus do if he were me? My stage of life, my gender, my work, my living situation, all of those things to a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. So before we kick off the text in 1 Timothy, I want to give you a quote from Richard Foster that just might resonate with your heart a little bit. The pace of the modern world accentuates our sense of being fractured and fragmented. Sit on those two words for a second. How are you walking in today? fractured and fragmented. We feel strained and hurried and breathless. The complexity of rushing to achieve and accumulate more and more threatens frequently to overwhelm us. It seems there is no escape from the rat race. However, Christian simplicity frees us from this modern mania. He goes on. He says it brings sanity to our compulsive extravagance. 
dang, it's like a deep, it's like a really accurate way to describe what's going on inside of me, but I don't like it. And it brings peace to our frantic spirit. It allows us to see material things for what they are. Goods to enhance life, not to oppress life. People, once again, become more important than possessions. Simplicity enables us to live lives of integrity in the face of the terrible realities of our global village. You guys resonate with that? Kind of feel the weight of that? And, and what's really interesting is you, you and I live in a kind of this saturated culture and machine that while these feelings are present, they're also intentionally in the background. Like, like we don't necessarily wake up and feel all of this cognitively. But the second we back up, we're like, whoa, <laughs> the last two weeks are definitely in this space. So let's dig into this life that is truly life. First Timothy chapter six, if you wanna open your Bibles and go there, we're gonna kick off here. This is Paul, kind of Pastor Paul, Apostle Paul, writing to young Timothy as he pastors the church in Ephesus, this brand new church. And the whole point of this is he's trying to help Timothy, pastor, shepherd, lead people into the way of Jesus. And the tension here in First Timothy is that there are some false teachers that are pushing an agenda in the church of Ephesus. They're trying to make money. There's this entire reality of the world, even you and I live in currently, of this thing called the prosperity gospel, where, where it's like the idea that basically following Jesus can make you rich. And there's an entire pursuit around it that most people have been, well, a lot of people have been either just totally turned off by or burned by or manipulated by, and we absolutely reject all of those ideals, but that's exactly what's happening in the Ephesian church. So they're having issues of social injustice, right? There's no social security. There's no Medicare. The church is the primary space of caring for those that are left outside. And, and so Paul is pressing in, saying, hey, these are the, th the things that we need to pay attention to, caring for the poor and the widows and giving instructions to leaders. And so let's just dig into the passage, okay? He says, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand Nothing. Now, again, he, he's writing very strong language towards these false teachers. He's trying to just really, really amp up Timothy. Hey, man, stand strong, push against all of the crazy that they're talking about. And it's interesting for Paul, he has this last line. They're, they're conceited and they understand nothing. And so for Paul, there's this kind of, with arrogance comes an ignorance. And he says, hey, pay attention to that. He goes on. He says, they, being these false teachers, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions. And there's constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. You guys see it? This is a really, really big deal for Paul. He's like, man, this is out of line. Be careful. All of these are indicators that this is not a reflection of God's heart or a godly leader. Now he goes on. Check this out in verse 6. But here's the premise. You're going to see six observations here. These are not commands. Observations about reality from Paul toward that, that spirit of generosity and simplicity. But godliness with contentment is actually 
great gain. This is kind of a play on words for Paul. He's like, actually, money is not the gain. Success is not the gain. More stuff is not the gain. Uh, More influence is not the gain. Actually, the best gain for you and I is not money and stuff, but spiritual formation in our life. There is a gain to be had in following Jesus. It's just not what the world is selling you. Spiritual formation is the best thing you and I can chase after. He goes on. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it, right? Paul's saying you can't take it with you. Why why not pursue stuff and money and success? Because the only things that last forever are the relationships that we invest in and the people that we become. You can't take it with you. Showed up in your birthday suit and you're leaving that way. Well, I'm going to make that request at my funeral anyway, but... Closed casket, don't worry. If we, it's not in my notes, but we're, we're going to have fun. Verse 8, if we have food, again, these are observations. You can't take anything with you. If you have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That word clothing can also be translated like a covering. And so uh, translators think that he's probably speaking more to not just the food and clothing on your body, but also some kind of shelter, which is kind of what we talk about as the basic needs of, of human flourishing. And so... He's saying, hey, you know, you can't take it with you, but if you have food and clothing, you can be content with that, that clothing and shelter. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you see the gravity of Paul's language here? Like he's saying, hey, watch out. Like money and stuff, this pursuit that gets weirdly into our heart, it's actually dangerous for our souls. And it's this weird effort of, it it doesn't actually satisfy and the long-term pursuit can actually begin to numb our minds and our hearts to God and it can lead to the oppression of the poor, harm to the earth, a loss of integrity. This is a really dangerous thing that Paul is trying to warn us of. And then a very popular verse that you might be familiar with In verse 10, he goes on, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice it's not the love of money is the root. Some people misquote this often. It is a root, a source of all kinds of evil. uh, evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And we see here this picture that at the the heart of so much wrong in the world today, at the heart of so much wrong in the human condition, is this right here. When you and I look at the global population and the oppression that is everywhere that we are sheltered from in the West or blind to intentionally, so much of the human condition in that corrupt part is fueled by this right here. And he says that there's kind of this wandering that happens in the heart, meaning it's not immediate. That's why it's an, a warning. You don't wake up one day and all of a sudden you're in this category. There's a wandering. It's, it's just kind of this drift away from, from Jesus and faith and community and truth and that spiritual formation of godliness. And all of a sudden, these are the gods of your heart. This is the goal of your life. Again, no, notice zero commands here. These are just observations about reality. But no, notice his language. This is interesting. They've wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, it's interesting that he would use that language 
because it was Jesus who was pierced for our transgressions. So the very things that Jesus gave himself for to save us from, if we're not careful, we can turn back to, and we're actually doing damage to ourselves. It's really interesting play on words here. Now watch what he says after this. But you, man of God, and again, he's writing to Timothy, so this is a very pointed letter, so this is, applies if you're a woman in the room. It's for you as well, okay? This is who he's writing to. You flee from all this. Run away quickly, right? Like a grizzly bear is chasing you. You don't have to be the fastest person, just faster than the last guy, right? Like run away really quick, pursue. So he says, run from this and to something else. So it's not just like, oh, stuff and money is bad. Material possessions are bad. This is not Gnosticism. This is not an effort or, or an invitation to like, you know, live in a hut or join a monastery. Not at all. We're going to see that God is not down on the goodness of enjoying life. But he's saying, run away from these things and pursue, make your priority righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Check it out. Fight the good fight of the faith. You guys heard that before, yeah? Did you ever, did you know that that was in the context of money and stuff? Fight the good, right? We, it's good on a t-shirt for all kinds. Fight the good fight of faith. And he's actually talking about like discontentment in our hearts and running away from materialism and hedonism. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he's saying, hey, man, you got to hold on to your faith. Press in, pursue that. Don't lose it in the middle of this desire and pursuit of more. And Paul has a very linear mind here, okay? And so he's saying, run away from materialism and hedonism and run towards eternal life, which every time we see that word in the scriptures, it's not like something that happens when you die. This is the life that Jesus introduced now and culminates in forever. This is a now and not yet reality. So eternal life is something you and I walk in and live in as Jesus followers daily, and we get to have hope in and experience after this life. And so he's saying, hey, take hold of that now and forever. And so that's, that's uh, well, let's go on. Let me show you what, what happens after this. Then he has this kind of amazing moment. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. And he goes on. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever, amen. And so he has this moment of kind of just external praise, and this is not a shift and a bump. This is the overflow in Paul's thinking of the result. Why would I run away from this and pursue that? It's because of who God is. Again, Jesus' worldview flows out of this reality that now Paul is carrying as well. This amazing, good creator, king of kings, lord of lords, God over everything is is also the generous host of the house that you and I live in. He's the father of the home that we have the privilege of living under. And for this, this is the motivation for Paul. When you get God's heart, when you get this relationship, when you understand who he is, the generosity conversation changes completely. Now, watch for the six commands. He goes on from here. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our 
enjoyment. So a couple of commands that we're watching. So we went from observations to now the commands for the Jesus followers. Number one, don't be arrogant. For those who are rich in this present world, which applies to most, if not all of us. Uh, I was doing some studies, and there's a lot of different studies you can look at, um, but over half the world's population lives on under $5 a day currently. And so you and I live in the very single digits top percentile of the, the world's wealth and status. And so, so you might not feel rich if you're in college, you know, you got two nickels to rub together, and you got a car payment, and you're eating beanie weenies and ramen, but um, or, you know, if you actually make six figures, but you live in Boulder, and so that means nothing, <laughs> because it all goes, to, I, I, I know, right? I know the grind, I know what it is, but, but this applies to all of, most likely all of us. We qualify for this standard of rich when he speaks to this space, and he is warning us, don't be arrogant and put our hope in our wealth, meaning that pride, that autonomy that the, the, the Western culture promotes, like I'm a self-made man, and we find kind of success and, and confidence in what we're able to accomplish and accumulate on our own. He says, no, avoid that spirit and embrace gratitude and humility, that, it, that everything we have is from the Father who provides it all. Whether I have a lot or a little, Jesus says I can be content in that. Jesus is not opposed to a lot or a little, but rather how our hearts manage that space. And again, don't put our hope in wealth. And, I, and you gotta think about it. Listen, where's your hope and your, your security come from? Right? We have this, this promise in the American dream that the more stuff, the more wealth you have, then there's more security, there's more safety, there's more success, and there's more happiness and more contentment in that space. The problem is the American dream cannot deliver on that reality. Why? Because you and I can lose it all in a second. Everything that provides comfort and security and hope on a surface level can be gone tomorrow, and you know it. And we live in this false reality of security. He says, don't, don't put your hope in that, but rather put your hope in God. Why? Because he richly provides us with everything, check it out, for our enjoyment. God is not down on enjoying Life. He's not down on joy and pleasure and beauty and experiences and good food and drink and community and camping and skiing and all. He's not down on any of that. He's just saying, put your hope in God, who is the one who richly provides. You guys see, it's just a heart posture here. And then he, he says it culminates in, we are to do good and be rich in good deeds. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So Paul's main interest for you and I is what we do with our privilege. It's not a bad thing that we are privileged. It's what we do with our privilege that is at the center of this space. And so we're instructed to leverage our privilege for the needs of others. And again, this is bigger than just what's in our bank account. This is time, energy, and resources, right? And lastly, he says, he goes on, in this way, when you and I press into this generous living, we're going to lay up treasure for, for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they might take hold of the life that is truly life. There it is again. And so th this language of laying up treasure, we see it over and over again from Jesus and from Paul. What does it mean? It means that you and I find, Jesus called it kind of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is pursuing Jesus and people. The only things that last forever are you and me. And so we're investing in others so that they might too take hold of that life that is truly life. That's how you lay up treasure in heaven. 
or, or, I don't remember which author it said, he says, you, you lose everything that you keep, but you can invest in it in the future, and you, you, you might lose everything that we hold on to, but we can send it on ahead, laying up treasure in heaven. And so it's this interesting invitation to use our lives to help other people take hold of that same true life. So here's what I know about you. Even, even if some of it's kind of heady and hard and challenging, you, you want that life. You want that contentment. You, you want this space in your heart, this margin. And the question is, how do we get it? So real briefly, I'm going to give you the super practical side of this conversation. You guys ready? It's very, very simple. We already talked about it, but I'll give it to you again. Number one, it's we limit how much we own. That's a practice of simplicity. And number two is practicing generosity. So I'm going to give you a quick word on both of these practices so you can kind of press in this week. I'm going to give you some really practical things that we're actually going to email out and send on social media as well for you. But I want, to, I want you to have some tools, some handles to press into this conversation of cultivating this practice. So number one, when it comes to simplicity, we'll stay on the screen for just a second. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said it this way, there are two ways for you and I to get enough to accumulate more and more, or the other is to desire less. And so the practice of simplicity is a volitional decision to set limits on my life and my lifestyle. And so our budget and our spending habits and our wardrobe and our activities and our experiences, when we press into simplicity, we are setting limits on our lives. And we live in a culture that is completely anti-limit, right? Keep your hands and your laws off my everything, right? We are anti-limit to a fault. And so when the world is asking, how can I get more? You and I are going to ask, how can I live with less? That's the practice of simplicity. And why would I do this? This is cultivating contentment and deep joy. Let me show you Jan Johnson's uh, uh, definition here, or this quote. Our, our living spaces, Jan Johnson notes, are often cluttered with too many objects. Our vacations hurried with too many good things to do. Yet Jesus, however, knew the deep goodness of limiting oneself. As life becomes more outwardly simple, it becomes more inwardly rich. And so for you and I, too much distraction can come from stuff, and, and it can drain our time, and, and it's a danger to our heart. And so we're just invited, this is all invitational creating self-imposed limits on our lives to cultivate joy and margin, to fight the good fight, quite frankly, like, like Paul was talking about. This is an actual fight for our souls. And again, I don't want you to miss the heart here. This is not about owning nothing. This is just about owning less. I heard Craig Rochelle say it this way, it's better to have a few things that I own, that I enjoy, than a bunch of, than a bunch of junk that owns me. That, that's the heart of simplicity. This is not anti-pleasure, this is just limits, okay? That's, uh, that's simplicity. Practicing generosity, the other one, is, is formational. So it's one thing to actually own less. It's another thing to want less. And so it's, it's one thing to have a budget. It's another thing to walk to the store and not want everything you see. <laughs> and so budgets are important because we need the discipline, but how do I become the person that is generous? and simple of heart. I'm going to invite Isaac to come, and as he preps, I'm going to kind of land the plane here, but again, I want you to think about, number, step number one is limiting what we own. Step number two is giving out of what we have. It's living generously because it creates something inside of us, and so Jesus said crazy stuff, like to the rich young ruler. He said, hey, sell all your possessions and give to the poor, 
And, and that might have been hyperbole, but when he said that, it was in the aorist active tense in the Greek, which means it's not a one-time event for this rich young ruler, but rather is a way of life that you and I are invited into. So when we simplify our lives and we give generously, what happens in our hearts? Here's what happens. Listen, this is why the practice of generosity is so important. It deepens our trust in God. It cultivates gratitude in our heart. It cultivates enjoyment of the simple things in life. A good cup of coffee, the view from an amazing hike, a breath of fresh air, a simple meal with friends. It puts money in the right place in our lives as a tool. It blesses others, which we reflect Jesus' words, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We experience that. It makes it possible for the church and the kingdom of God to grow. It sets us free from the desire for more. That's just a small list. So wherever you are, listen, the invitation is start where you are. So when it comes to conversations around spiritual formation, what we do influences who we become. I heard it said this way, at first we make our choices and then our choices begin to make us. You see, generosity, simplicity, it's a spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline. Spiritual meaning we want to follow the Spirit's leading here, guys. We want to listen to the heart of God and let the Holy Spirit lead the way. But also it's a discipline, meaning we set a budget and we give when we feel like it and when we don't. And we feel like we have enough and then our transmission goes out. And guys, listen, I'm, I'm never going to invite you to go where my family has not already gone. And there are many leaders in this church that have experienced and walked this life, and there's always room for growth and improvement. Even for Danielle and I, we're sitting in these conversations, working on our budget, all of those things to continue to press into generosity and simplicity. So here's your two practices for the week. Number one, a practice in simplicity. Okay, this is really, really practical. Here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna pick one room in your house this week, an easy one, okay? Don't start with your garage. If you, if you don't have a garage, like most people in Boulder. Don't start with that closet that functions as your garage since you don't have a garage, right? Start with something easy. Pick one room, and here's what you're going to do. This is just a really practical opportunity just to kind of see what it feels like, okay? You're going to create five piles, a giveaway pile, a sell pile, a throwaway pile, a weight pile, things that you're like on the fence of there might be some emotional attachment to, and then a keep pile. And you're going to ask these questions as you process through just this really practical thing, okay? Do I need this? Is it useful? Is it beautiful? Does it help or hinder my involvement with God and his kingdom? Just a practice, okay? All invitational, totally up to you. Danielle and I have been practicing this for a long time, and, and we've, you know, got a bunch of rooms. <laughs> and so, you know, we'll hit another one this week, and we'll do it with you. So a practice in simplicity is actually a really easy space to press in. But number two, a practice in generosity is a little more involved. So number one, I want to invite you to start small. So if you're, if you're out of work, if you've got tons of debt, if you've never lived by or, or, or been equipped with an actual budget, start where you are. Listen, also, we're in your corner. Part of 
being good managers of these lives is budgeting well. And so we've got tons of tools we'd love to shoot you. We, got, we, can, shoot, we can email it to you, all of that stuff, budgeting tools, counselors, all of that. We'd love to help you in that space. But start where you are. Number two, we talked about this last week, give first. Or, or the conversation we talked about was like kind of your first fruits. So like we're going to give to God off the top. We're going to choose to be generous with our first fruits, not our leftovers. And what that does is it places our hearts in a place that says we're going to trust in God. And again, we, we, we talked about this from Paul's words. We're going to give what we've determined in our heart. Number three, in practicing generosity, try to divert one expense, just for one week even, or for a month, or, and create a generosity fund. So this is intentional generosity that you are budgeting on a weekly or monthly basis. So let's say it's a cup of coffee a week, five bucks a week, you're gonna give up one cup of coffee, probably not on hump day, maybe Thursday, you know? Like the day you can handle it, $20 a month is what you've got in a generosity fund and you're gonna use it to bless other people if you see a need. Danielle and I are talking about it. We're gonna have an envelope in our kitchen with the cash in it. Our kids are gonna know about it, we're gonna know about it and it's designated. We can't use it for anything else but blessing other people. And if our kids see a need in school, guess what? They have the privilege and the permission to go bless somebody else. This can be small or big, by the way. So this can be cutting back on your eating out budget. This can be canceling a subscription and diverting those expenses. This can be extreme. This can be selling your car, getting rid of your car payments and diverting uh, the generosity to that. And again, a budgeting tool is really helpful in this space if you don't have one. Number four. If you can, tithe, we talked about this last week. We talked about functionally on a biblical perspective that tithing, if anything, this 10% of your income, giving that away is the floor, not the ceiling when it comes to generosity. And so if you can, start there. Number five, if you already tithe, you might consider a graduated tithe. Here's what this means. As your income goes up, the percentage that you give is also going up with it. And so I heard it said this week that you and I could try to raise our standard of loving rather than our standard of living. And Danielle and I have tried this and pressed into this increase in percentages of giving over the last couple of years. And the last thing is this. Watch what happens in your heart. These are all ideas. They're all invitational. You can take some of them, all of them, none of them. Not gonna hurt my feelings. This is for you. This is for your heart. And this is for what God wants to do in and through us. This is asking the question, who am I becoming? And if all of this sounds absolutely crazy to you, I get it. Just remember that this only makes sense if we carry Jesus' worldview of abundance and his priority around the kingdom of God, his kingdom over ours. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I just, I just want to invite you to understand the motivation behind these, these conversations is because God is such a generous God. He's such a generous giver that it's easy to respond and then be generous as a Jesus follower. Easy might be a relative way of saying it. It's a privilege. It's a joy when we press into God's heart. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is not an invitation for you to give 10% of your income. This is an invitation for you to respond to what God has already given you that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That when we trust in Jesus, we freely receive, receive God's gift and grace of forgiveness. He makes us new. He makes us right with him. He gives us that life that is truly life. And he sets us on a trajectory of becoming more like Jesus. That's the invitation today, if you're not a follower of Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray together. God, thank you so much for the privilege we have of following you. God, that, that many of us, if not all of us, are rich in this current age. And, and you're not down on that. You don't glare at that. And because you're this generous host, we get to richly enjoy the life that you've invited us into. But also, God, we recognize that we have a responsibility to leverage our affluence, to leverage what you've blessed us with for the good of others. Not out of fear, not out of shame, not out of obligation, but out of great joy and generosity you gave and we can do the same. God, you know each heart in the room. You know each situation. You know all of the circumstances surrounding our current lifestyles. You know how we grew up. You know how we were taught to think about money. You know the really hard things that have happened. You know the really good things that have happened. You know our pride. You know our fears. You know our arrogance. And you love us in the middle of that. And you invite us to trust in you. And so Jesus, whether it's a pressing into the practice of simplicity this week or it's growing more in the practice of generosity so we're becoming the people that you want us to become, it's all of, the, all of the above. Maybe it's even more that you're inviting us into. Jesus, would our hearts be wide open to you? In our hearts and minds right now, would we create a space of surrender and say, Jesus, everything I have is a gift from you. So whatever you want to do with this life of mine, I want it to be spirit-led and I want it to be disciplined for your glory and so I can become who you created me to be. So God, thank you for the privilege we've had today to learn and grow. Would you help us to know what our next steps are? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.